Greetings, fellow citizens of earth. I bid you shalom alekem. The peace of God be with you. I want to share with us on the subject of dealing with disloyalty. The passage to guide our reflection is Psalm 12 verses 1 to 8. Open our eyes, Lord, to see wonderful truths in your word and give us the courage to live by and die for them. Amen. The text says, Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked, who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. The word of the Lord. This loyalty seems to be in. This seems to be the case, judging from its currency in popular culture. Now it is left to be determined whether more persons are experiencing acts of betrayal and disloyalty, or simply more persons feel the need to publicly describe, repudiate, and agonize over it. Allow me to prefer some examples to substantiate my declaration. Earlier today, while browsing WhatsApp status updates, I came upon a video clip posted by an acquaintance. In it, an adult female and a young boy around age eight conversed. The lady says, Sheldon, what's on a person's face is not always what's in their heart. Sheldon says, well, this changes everything. How do you know who to trust? The lady says, you don't. That's what makes life interesting. Hmm, good advice. Bad advice? What do you think? Likewise, I have noticed a trend in dancehall music and pop music to a lesser extent where many artists have been singing about the difficulty or sheer impossibility of trusting people. One says, Mina trust people, Mina beg friend. That is, I don't trust people. I don't beg for friendships. Another wildly popular one says, If a one thing me hate, a friend killer. That is, if there is one thing I hate, it is a person who kills their friends. And this one became a big hit as well. When I see my friends become my enemies, I stay far. No link, no par. That is, say, when I see my friends become my enemies, I keep my distance. No linking up, 
no hanging out. And to top it all off, one says, you can't even trust your own shadow after dark. That is, you can't even trust your own shadow at nights. These contemporary writers may be onto something, but the reality of betrayal and disloyalty is not in the least bit a new phenomenon. Lovers of classical literature would certainly recall the famous words, Et tu, Brute? Going further back still into the time of the Bible, this confronts us plainly in our text. David here grapples with the prevalence of this loyalty. The opening words of the psalm present us with a picture of the life made ugly by deception and pride. Let's explore deception and pride. These two companions are put on display in the first four verses of the text. Listen again. Help. Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? It is self-evident from David's words that he has suffered greatly from deception and disloyalty. Just look at the generalization he employs. No one is faithful anymore. The loyal have vanished. Everyone lies. Lips flatter while hearts are filled with deception. Does this not sound like much of what is being expressed in song these days? I confess to you that I too fall victim to the kind of siege mentality that David displays here. Surely he doesn't know all the inhabitants of the earth. Surely he doesn't know the veracity of what each person says to their neighbor. But he is definitely expressing here that there has come about a widespread culture of disloyalty, untruthfulness, and deception. I can think of two persons in his life that could have, by their betrayal, caused him to adopt this generalization. Saul and Ahithophel. Saul's disloyalty you are most likely familiar with that of turning violently against David out of envy when he was praised for slaying Goliath, leading to a prolonged murderous pursuit of David with many near misses. Mention of Ahithophel, though, may have caused you to go Ahitho. Ahithophel was, for a long time, David's advisor and confidant, kind of like his right-hand man. Yet, in 2 Samuel 16, verses 21 to 23, when he learned of the rebellion of David's son Absalom, there you go, another betrayal right there, he advises Absalom how best to humiliate his father. His advice? Sleep with David's concubines on the rooftop in public view. Let me let that sink in. Then in the next chapter, 
verses 1 and 2, he asks Absalom if he himself can pursue David, capture him when he is weak, and destroy him. He wants to personally bring David's head to Absalom. The question I'm sure you're asking is, why would he have turned against David like that? Well, remember Bathsheba? Remember how David told someone he wanted to send for her, and the person he was speaking with told him she was Uriah's wife. Well, according to 2 Samuel 23 and verse 34, where we find Ahithophel's genealogy, Bathsheba is his granddaughter and Uriah his son-in-law. Go figure. We will have to set aside a separate time for our message itself on that one, right? Our opinions of whether David deserved some of the disloyalty aside, the point here is that he is crying out to God in utter distress about the extent of this deception and pride in the society around him. Beyond the dramatics of music, we can recognize a similarity between David's time and ours. Are we fully grasped by the seriousness of the death of truth that has spanned our world in the last three to five years in particular? The world has witnessed one of its most powerful political figures randomly and at will popularize euphemisms and all manner of fractions of truth by the term alternative facts. We have witnessed the viral spread of fake news. Fake news has been alleged to have even been utilized as an election strategy. The social media giant Facebook has had to set aside significant human and monetary resources to curtail the spread of fake news via its platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp in particular. Even in the corona pandemic, persons have gone as far as to circulate quote-unquote health tips purporting to have come from the World Health Organization. But these were subsequently renounced by the WHO. Truth has become a casualty of our times. Personal trustworthiness has taken a beating. The phrase your word is your bond, has taken a beating. These have been sacrificed on the altar of expedience in the pursuit of power, pleasure, and pearls. Interesting limits have been established on one's loyalty. Here are two examples. A young man in the army confided to his padre that he never went about with another girl if he was within 50 miles of home. His loyalty went only 50 miles. It stretched only 50 miles. It is said that art is life, or art imitates life. If that is true, listen to Johnny Cash's song. The judge said, son, what is your alibi? 
If you were somewhere else, then you wouldn't have to die. I spoke not a word, though it meant my life, for I had been in the arms of my best friend's wife. Our text makes for us an easily missed but accurate link between disloyalty and pride. When we think too much of ourselves, when we enthrone ourselves on the throne of our lives, it is natural that we will act in ways that bring the maximum benefit to ourselves and leave a trail of betrayal on our march to glory. The heart is said to want what it wants and what it wants, it wants and gets. And so David agonized to God quoting the mantra of those who practice flattery to curry favor their way upwards. By our tongues, we will prevail. Our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? This stinks of self-inflated pride and absolute disregard for any kind of accountability. There are those in our world today who talk like this routinely and whose actions indicate that they have no desire to be limited by any kind of social contract, community ethos, national good, or a sense of the global interdependent mindfulness. The picture of pride is taken even further by David at the last verse. Notice he speaks of those who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. Haven't you noticed that there are those who have no inhibitions in aligning themselves with that which is abhorrent and declaring themselves thus? Vile things are honored and defended by the principles of large corporations, senators, and heads of states even. They invent the rules, and the world revolves around them. They answer to no one, at least so they think. The defender of the defenseless appears in our text after we see the deception and pride. As David makes his lament of the utter sweeping tide of deception and pride, he has a divine revelation of the abiding nature of God as defender of the defenseless. David calls to mind the word of God in response to the victims of earth. There is something about the plight and the reality of those whose necks are under the boot heel of the proud that arouses the attention and the weaponry of God. Here, David cogitates, as the Jamaicans would say, here, David holding amidst on God's intervention in the affairs of men at verse 5 of our text. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And this is a consistent theme in the Bible. In fact, Salvation history is a history of God acting in the defense of the marginalized 
oppressed and maligned. The very life, ministry, and death of Jesus proves it. You know, like David, it is easy to feel overwhelmed when there is disloyalty and deception aimed at us. The sting of being maligned cuts deep, doesn't it? You may feel as one woman against the world, but this text is a powerful reminder that God is not in some faraway place. The full force and meaning of Emmanuel, God with us, must become your anchor. So, born out, plead your case before God. It is not in vain. God sees and knows the truth and you will receive blessing and vindication from the Lord. Here, Jesus, as he teaches the disciples about being persistent in prayer, using the imagery of the widow with the arrogant judge in Luke 18. At verses 7 to 8, he makes a powerful declaration of God's intent towards his people. When he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And quickly, do we need anything more solid on which to stand? This is the word of God. Rejoice! and make a declaration of praise. If we remind ourselves that we are reflecting on a psalm, which was set to music, we can understand why David ended the way he did with a declaration of praise. In this case, his praise is of the dependability and desirableness of the word of God. When God declares a thing, it is enough. And it is music to the ears and honey to the heart. David's praise was that the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, he says, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. What a transition! From an anguished cry of despair to a rock-solid punch to the air recognition that what is at our disposal, what is available to us, what we have access to is the word of God, which has no flaw. There is no margin of error. There is no room for second guessing. God watches over his word to perform it. Heaven and earth will disappear, but God's word stands secure. Safety and protection from the wicked is a perpetual guarantee for the righteous. Evil has its limit. Evil will not prevail. The wicked do not have the last word. God does. Praise God. And so knowing that God rises to the defense of the maligned and the oppressed should move us to ensure that we do not locate ourselves on the wrong side of God's verdict. 
to have tasted of the wine of this loyalty is to desire truth in the inner parts. To be loyal, to be truthful, to be free from flattery and deception, to be free from pride, to live our lives as though we are in fact accountable, accountable to each other, and ultimately accountable to the audience of one, the Lord God Almighty. And so as we contemplate our hurts and pains in a world filled with falsehood, betrayal, pride, and vileness, let us look to God, the defender of the defenseless, in petition, and make a declaration of praise so that the world of shadiness and shifting hearts will know the rock of ages. You think about it. Let's talk about it.